Hello and welcome back to the European show. I think this is episode 12. Obviously we, we kind of did miss a week. But we're back to look at the Champions League as well as basically every other football that's happened between now and the international break. And to join me, as always, is Nick. So welcome back, Nick. How are you? I am doing very well. How are you doing, Jack? I'm doing good. So the first place, as I said, we'll start is with, as we always do really, is with the Champions League, where obviously this is match day five. Teams are finally qualifying for their group stages. Well, some teams are obviously finding out their fate in other ways, but obviously there's still a lot up for grabs for the match day six, which is next week. Um, so we'll first start with the hardest group of them all, which is Brucey Dortmund's group. And Borussia Dortmund have qualified out of this group and finished first after they beat AC Milan 3-1. And so this just kind of does match Borussia Dortmund's pattern for this season where they're terrible in the league. But for some unknown reason in the Champions League, they're really able to to turn it on. And the, the Champions League performances are their best so far this season. Um, the standout player for Dortmund over these past couple of weeks has been Jamie Bino Gittins. He's probably been the only one of the only standout players for Dortmund. But yeah, they beat Milan 3 3 1. Giroud missed the chance to give Milan the lead when he missed a penalty, only for literally a couple of minutes later, Marco Royce to equal or to open the scoring with a penalty. Samuel Chiguese equalised for Milan. Um, but then in the second half, Dortmund took over, Jamie Barno Gittins gave them the lead, and then Karim Andiyemi scored the third. Obviously, we've seen Hammerlander in the league this season. It's not the best, um, but because of Dortmund winning and the result elsewhere, where PSG, despite scraping with a 98-minute penalty to draw this game 1-1 against Newcastle, probably deserved a lot more than that, but it does mean now that obviously, as I said, Dortmund are qualified. And obviously, it's safe to say that we both underestimated Dortmund. But I think when the time that we made our prediction, the sample size of Dortmund games gave us the right to completely write them off. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much been a case of them rising to the occasion, which which we do seem sometimes do. But with Dortmund, they've been uh, locking in really when it has really mattered. First game against PSG was pretty tragic. They looked completely incapable of, of being scary and they got dominated from minute one to minute 90. Uh, and they really just recovered from that match and they learned how to um, how to get into games, how to control, how to be more confident. And that's really what made the difference, I think. Um, so it is, the benefit for Dortmund is that they finished first in this group, which means that they should hypothetically get an easier draw um, for the round of 16. Um, but obviously with the state that Dortmund have been playing in the league, and when we come back to the Champions League in late February, or mid-February, they could be continually to play terribly. While obviously for the other teams, it's all completely wide open for who finishes second. Newcastle need to get a result against Milan and hope PSG don't beat Borussia Dortmund. Well, obviously, as we know, Borussia Dortmund have literally nothing to play for. Like, they don't even have to fight to finish first. So this is going to be a very interesting final match day um, in that group. Um, Barcelona did qualify for their 
round for the round of 16 after beating Porto 2-1. Porto were the closest challenges realistically to finish or to, to beat them to qualification. But after initially going behind from uh, Pepe goal, not the Pepe, a different one. Um, Barcelona relied on their Jaws. Uh, with Jao Cancelo opening the scoring first before Jao Felix scored second. Well, obviously, this was not the most important Jao Felix goal that he scored this week, we, which we'll we get on to later on. on. <laughs> um, the other game saw Shakhtar Donetsk beat Antwerp 1-0. What this does mean is going into the final game. It's a shootout between Shakhtar and Porto. Whoever wins will qualify um, for this um, group. Or follow Barcelona out of this group. Atletico Madrid secured their qualification for the round of 16 after beating Celtic, after beating Feyenoord quite comfortably 3 1. In, in the game, well, no, that, that's not entirely true. Feyenoord did put up a good fight, um, and Feyenoord did score three goals. Just two of them happened to be own goals. Um, the other game saw Lazio beat Celtic 2 0. What this does mean is Atletico Madrid and Lazio are the teams going through, while Feyenoord are in the Europa League. And then the final group um, saw Manchester City come from behind to beat RB Leipzig 3-2, which these teams have already qualified. So we now know that Manchester City will finish first and RB Leipzig will finish second. And then the other game in that group saw Young Boys beat Red Star Belgrade 2-0 to secure their place in the Europa League. Now we move on to the other day, where things started to get a lot more interesting. Um, So, obviously, the biggest talking point of this Champions League has really been Manchester United. And they continue to do that. So, in a must-win game to help them better their chances of qualifying for the round of 16, they're headed to, obviously, what is a very difficult place to go, um, which is Istanbul, to play Galatasaray. And... Within 20 minutes, Manchester United are tuning up and you think, okay, you know, they're, okay, they're looking like they're able to do this. Little did they know they had a man in goal. Yeah, then Hakim Ziyech scored to make it 2-1, but nothing really came of it. And then Manchester United took a, or doubled the lead and made it 3-1. But then, as Nick said, Hakim Ziyech has a free kick from a long way out and it really shouldn't trouble the goalie, but Onana parries it into his own net. It makes it 3-2, and then Galatasaray equalise in the 71st minute, and momentum were completely, it was completely in their favour throughout the rest of the game, and they really had the chance to, to win, but obviously they didn't. So what this does mean, especially considering the fact that Copenhagen went to Bayern Munich and drew 0-0, which obviously is is a feat in itself. This means that going into the final game, Manchester United have to beat Bayern Munich to, to qualify for the round of 16. They need, um, obviously, a beating Bayern Munich will secure the result. Galatasaray and Copenhagen draw, then Manchester United and Bayern Munich draw, then they'll make it into the Europa League. So it's not looking very... It's, it's not looking good for Manchester United. Um, well, no, yeah, absolutely not. And um, some United fans are living in the delusion 
that Bayern Munich will take it easy because they're already qualified and rotate players and they're forgetting the ass whooping they gave to Barcelona in this exact situation last year. So I think that um that Bayern Munich are so spiteful and so full of hatred that they will just line up their starting eleven with the intention of knock out Man United just because they can do it. Um, so I it, it's not looking good for United. Um, they're playing at home, which obviously is a slight advantage. Uh, but but once again, we we've we've seen Bayern Munich do it before in in this sort of situation. And so it's it's just not a good time to be a United fan right now. Obviously, the biggest surprise from this group has been Copenhagen, with the fact that they went toe to toe with Manchester with Bayern Munich um, in both games. They obviously beat Manchester United, and they currently drew with Copenhagen or with Galatasaray. So obviously, we did write them off at the start, but that's because we didn't know that they were going to be so competitive in this group, and that United is going to be so bad. We, yeah. we didn't think they'd be good, but we didn't think they'd be this terrible. Then, Sevilla. They can still finish third in their group, so they can still go and defend the Europa League title. They did concede, or really throw away, their 2-0 lead against PSV Eindhoven. Um, they ended up conceding in the 92nd minute when Ricardo Pepe, um, who is still a footballer, um, scored the the winner for PSG for PSV I mean to make it three two to help them qualify for the or to better their chances of qualifying for the round of sixteen. While Arsenal thrashed Lons six nil, um, secured their place in the round of sixteen. But what this does mean is if Sevilla beat Lons, they finish third. While PSV don't really have a lot to worry about. So. It's really a question of can Sevilla actually do it? You know, can they finish third? Uh, undoubtedly. It's when the odds are the most against them and you're like, oh, they can't possibly make it to Europa League. They can't possibly win Europa League. That's when they do it. They're not in good form, right? Literally, look at them in the league. They're like scraping points here and there, barely. Uh, look, look at them in Champions League. They have zero wins in five games. They're going to win this game away. It's it, it literally is what happens year in, year out. They can literally do it. And in Group C, uh, Real Madrid secured their place top of the table uh, after they beat Napoli 4-2. This was quite a fun game as Napoli, um, they were going back and forth the whole time. But then Real Madrid rallied together in the final minutes with substitute Nicolas Paz scoring his first ever goal for, Man- for Real Madrid before Hossolu then scored in the... 94th minute to make it 3-4-2. Union Berlin kind of completely ruined their chances of qualifying for the Europa League as they succumbed to a 10-man Braga team, which doesn't really make any sense. But they did change their manager um, in the period between they replaced Urs Fischer with some guy from that used to manage Trabzonspor. So Union have no chance of qualifying for the Europa League anymore. Um, well, N- Braga have to beat Napoli to make it out of the Europa League or to to make it into the Champions League round of 16. And finally, we had a great game between Benfica and Inter, which saw Inter come from 3-0 down to end up drawing 3-3, but it was a heavily rotated side. Again, Inter and Real Sociedad are basically neck and neck in this game, and the winner of the final group game between the two of them will decide who finishes 
first in this group while Salzburg secured their place in the round of 16 or in the Europa League. So now we will have our break and then we'll be back with Syria. Welcome back from our break. We will now look at Syria, where Inter have continued to show that they are probably the team that's likely going to win the league. It's most likely now a two-horse race between them and Juventus. Um, Last weekend, they did play Juventus, um, but they did end up drawing 1-1. Juventus initially took the lead, but then um, Inter equalised, but Inter completely dominated the game. And then this weekend, Juventus scraped a 2-1 win against Monza before then Inter then faced another tough challenge against um, Napoli, who obviously are the defending champions, and convincingly beat them 3-0 with goals from Hakan Chalanoglu, Nicolo Barella and Marcus Turan. So what this does mean is Inter are top of the table still, they're two points clear of Juventus and they just look like a a very good team and Marcus Turam has probably surpassed not talking about his initial spell at um, Inter but Turam has now proven to be the better strike partner to Lautaro Martinez than what Romelu Lukaku was last season um they are they've formed a very strong partnership um below the two of them we have milan in third and surprisingly in fourth we have roma they're finally in the champions league places um whether they stay there for long is obviously a completely different story yeah well we we, we were shitting on Mourinho at the start of the season but he does seem like um, he's picked his team up back up from from the slumps it seems, and I mean like that that is very commendable. That is definitely a the manager's job. Well, obviously, as 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 we said, Napoli are currently sitting in fifth. They're joint on points with Roma, but time under Walter Materazzi has currently been rather mixed. As they did beat Atalanta, but then obviously they lose to Real Madrid and also lose to um uh, Inter. Uh, but obviously, Cravacelli has has as we mentioned previously, has also picked up his form as of late and is probably the only bright bright spark in this um, Napoli side. Um, so now we'll look at La Liga, where after we did criticise him, we mentioned it last time on our last episode, we have criticised Rodri, but I'm pretty sure since then he's basically scored in every other game since or, or or contributed in one way or another in every game yeah i mean uh, un- undoubtedly i i do blame this on jack because he was the one that uh, had the anti-rodrigo agenda um I, I i think it is uh a position shift uh orchestrated by obviously by ancelotti uh and 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 also a confidence boost from from rodrigo where now he he's really in it and he's he's just playing much much better than than he was before. Uh, I think the the return of Bellingham to the team also helps quite a lot. I mean, he he only missed two maybe three games, but uh, but now he's back. There's a there's a lot more energy and and more of a dynamic in 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 the team as well. Um, but also it should be said, um, Ibrahim Diaz 
who was originally benched for Bellingham, is now playing very well alongside Bellingham, actually. Um, the two together create a lot of um, offensive threat and are very good at carrying the ball up. Basically makes Real Madrid a really scary offensive team. And so uh, I, I guess with, with more balls being fed to the forwards, Rodrigo is also getting more service as well, which which does help him quite a lot. Uh, and actually both Rodrigo and Brahim Diaz did score in uh, Real Madrid's 2-0 beating of Granada. Speaking of players that don't usually score, but did, João Felix is a man driven by hate. That is his entire MO. He had not scored in maybe a month or a month and a half. And then he scored two games in a row, once against his ex-team uh, and rivals, Porto. Uh, and then again against his ex-team and league rivals, Atletico Madrid. Well, First of all, it should be noted, Aditi is really awful at playing in Barcelona. Uh, they literally have not won a game there in since maybe 2006. Uh, and considering that Barca were in a, a fairly, not bad, but they were in a, definitely a shaky run of form. And Aditi were coming in strong. It looked like maybe this was the year that um, this was broken. And Xavi just dropped a tactical masterclass uh, and dunked on, on Aditi. Like, it, it, once, once again, like... We doubted Joe Felix. We doubted Xavi, and then, well, definitely Xavi had a had a fantastic um, plan to to neutralize Aleti and bait out their high press and uh, kind of just stop them from building on on the wings as they as they usually do. Um, and then Felix scored a really lovely chip as well, which was infuriating. This man sc- hit the Bellingham celebration against not his ex club, but the club that currently owns him. Which is audacious to say the least. Maybe, maybe not. That will come back to bite him later. But uh, yeah, I mean, to be fair, while he did score, he wasn't the best on the pitch. That absolutely, undoubtedly goes to Kunde and Pedri. These two were bossing it. Uh, Kunde shut down Aliti's left flank fully. And any chance he got, he would be galloping up to create danger on, on the right wing. Meanwhile, Pedri was silky and smooth as usual, just dancing past uh, everyone. Also... Iñaki Peña's performance should be uh, highlighted. But essentially, he had been a little bit weaker in previous games and you could feel the absence of Ter Stegen. And then he pulls out a fantastic save from a, from a Memphis free kick and just reaching out across to dig it out of, of the top ends. Uh, and then he also was well positioned to block a, a dangerous Correa attempt in the 19th minute. Uh, and with that, Barcelona overtake Atleti, even though they do have one more game. More interesting games, uh, Osasuna, Mar- Osasuna managed to draw 1-1 against um, Resucidad. Atleti Club smacked um, Rayo Vallecano 4-0 in a very decisive uh, victory with the uh, Williams brothers scoring uh, two goals four minutes apart. And uh, Sevilla drew 1-1 against uh, Villarreal because they're not very good. Of course, the story that uh, has been on everyone's minds these last three months, Girona do remain with the most points in the table. They are second due to them being behind on goal difference and head-to-head against Real Madrid, but they're both on 38 points. Uh, and Girona keep up the pace because they did beat Valencia 2-1. Very dramatically coming back as they were down uh, until the 82nd minute in which Stuani scored two goals in a row within 10 minutes. I don't, I don't know how they keep doing it, but now they're starting to beat kind of good teams, actually. And so, um, we'll... Well, it's they're kind of showing that they're not just flat track bullies, that they can do it against at least a decent team. Next week, they play against Barcelona, uh, which is going to be really interesting because 
initially it looked like Girona would have the upper hand coming into this, but then Barca played legitimately very well in their last match. Um, so if they can keep up this energy and this concentration, then it's going to be very tough for uh, for Girona. We'll have to see what they're really, truly made of and if they collapse again like they did against the Real Madrid. Now we'll look at the Bundesliga where we did have, well, as we mentioned, when we talk about the Champions League, Borussia Dortmund have this thing where they play well in the Champions League but play terribly in the league. And that continued now. Last weekend, they beat Borussia Mönchengladbach 4-2. But they were terrible in the first half. And they did rely heavily on some dodgy VAR refereeing decisions to help them win. And then they faced this big challenge against, obviously, league leaders by Leverkusen. They score an early goal in the fifth minute against Leverkusen. And then they proceed to sit back and park the bus for the rest of the game. And it's just completely dominated the whole time by Bayer Leverkusen. Obviously, what this did show was Bayer Leverkusen's shortcomings as they really struggled to to create stuff against a team that sat back and defended them. Um, and I imagine this will probably be a more common occurrence throughout the rest of the season now. But obviously, you didn't expect it to be Borussia Dortmund <laughs> that are the ones to do this. Obviously, Leverkusen remain unbeaten in every single competition this season. Uh, they do move three points ahead of Bayern Munich only because Bayern Munich Bayern Munich's game against Union Berlin was postponed because of heavy snowfall in in Munich so obviously the other big talking point in the Bundesliga is, is Stuttgart um last they have a difficult run of games now last weekend they they played Frankfurt and they beat them 2-1 and Dennis Undav scored twice because Garassi was still kind of building his match fitness after his injury and so it left uh, coach Sebastian Hernes with an issue now like what do I do I've got two strikers that are basically the most informed strikers in the league that are not named Harry Kane how can how can I play these two together and like can they coexist and and so he decides okay we'll, they, we'll play with two strikers up front against Werder Bremen Undav and Garassi and obviously will they be able to coex- coexist will Undav have to like um, compromise to allow Garassi to play more as the type of player he wants to play. Stuttgart won 2-0. Goal scored by Dennis Undav and Garassi. The plan worked out perfectly and Stuttgart remained third. Um, obviously, as we've said previously, they're a lot like Girona, as in well, they've played a lot of easy teams, but they've slowly been playing better teams now and they're actually playing quite well. You know, they convincingly beat Borussia Dortmund, although Dortmund got lucky, but that's, that's Dortmund. Obviously, they beat Frankfurt again. So they're very, they're building up credit now, and you can clearly see that this just hasn't been a one-off, and they're just quite a strong team. And so the next couple of weeks going forward are really going to be quite important now to really set up the, the new year, because both... The title contenders, I, I think. Well, I, I think we can say now that it is Bayern Munich and Bayer Leverkusen fighting for the title. Uh, every other team behind them has shown that they are not good enough to match these teams. So both Bayern Munich and Bayer Leverkusen have a tough run of games now in their final three games before the um, winter break. So this coming weekend, Frankfurt or Bayern Munich host Frankfurt. Obviously, Bayern Munich are have been rested for around 10 days. Whether that's beneficial to them or not was yet to be seen. It's also worth noting that I haven't actually been able to train at times because the pitch has been, or the training pitch, has been so indebted with snow 
Uh, Leverkusen play Stuttgart on Sunday. And it is also worth noting that Borussia Dortmund are playing RB Leipzig. Both of these teams have been rather underwhelming at parts, so it'd be interesting to see how that game pans out. So, in a whole, obviously this weekend's quite interesting. Um, but then a couple of games after, which obviously we'll get into more depth when we get closer to that time. The weekend after, so next Sunday, we have Leverkusen playing Eintracht Frankfurt and Bayern Munich playing Stuttgart, so they kind of swap around. And then just before the international break, or the winter break, I mean, um, Leverkusen get a slightly easier end to it as they play Bochum, um, but Bayern Munich do host Wolfsburg. So this is a very big, like, when we reach the end of the, that period, say Leverkusen drops some more points and Bayern Munich don't, then the lay of the land will look completely different. But obviously, if Leverkusen continue to go unbeaten in those games and Bayern Munich also go unbeaten in those games, obviously, business as usual heading into the new year. Um, finally, before our anthem break, we do have the DFB Pokal, which is interesting because obviously there's not really that many big players in this competition anymore. The biggest one is obviously Bayer Leverkusen. He played Paderborn. And then the biggest game is between Stuttgart and Borussia Dortmund. Obviously, as I mentioned, the last time these two teams played against each other, Stuttgart absolutely wiped the floor with Dortmund. Probably going to happen again. And then the other all-Bundesliga tie is Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Wolfsburg. Um, so now we'll have our anthem break and then we'll be back with Liga and the uh, Euros. Mais mon père en rentrant avait les yeux si bleus que je croyais voir le ciel bleu. J'apprenais mes leçons, la joue contre son bras. Je crois qu'il était fier de moi. Il était généreux comme ceux du pays et je lui dois ce que je suis. Welcome back from our anthem break. You've just heard the Lons anthem. So, Nick, what do you rate it out of 10? It sounded very French, but not bad. I'll give it a 6 out of 10. I'll, I'll give it a 5. It's it's quite average. Um, so we're going to open this part of the episode with the Eredivisie. Yeah, indeed. Uh, the Eredivisie is over. It It's it's good night for everybody. PSV is too good, and there's just nothing that anyone can do about it. Um, w- w- while the non-Dutch population's attention was focused on well, the insane collapse of um, of Ajax, and to be fair, many Dutch people were also laughing at what was going on. PSV quietly and discreetly just finished the season in December. They have 50 goals in 14 games. That's, once again, 50 in 14. That's like an average of like four goals a game. They've conceded six goals in these games. They have a perfect record, uh, 14 wins, zero draws, zero losses. They do it against the big teams. This last weekend, they just beat Feyenoord. Maybe not as like comfortably as, as they have beaten teams in the past, but it was still a decisive victory um, in which they they did lead 2-0 at one point. Uh, and w- well and truly, there's just no one that can that can stop PSV at this point, and it's virtually impossible to, to think of them losing it now. They're 10 points ahead of, of, of Feyenoord now after... Uh, 
after this last game and they truly are unstoppable um meanwhile the other big news ajax have recovered under their new manager they now have uh 13 points from their last five games and they've they're out of the relegation zone proper they're now um eighth in the table which is quite impressive uh and meanwhile as alkmaar a team i sympathize with but kind of suck at being better than they could be uh drew 1-1 against utrecht while twente who are challenging for top four beat the go-ahead eagles 3-1 um now i will look at liga because nick is now left um so business as usual really in, in liga um psg beat la Havre 2-0 they had also beaten their closest challenges the weekend beforehand, Monaco 5-2 in quite convincing fashion with obviously, as well as a common occurrence now in with us, uh, Gonzalo Ramos scored the opener in that game um, before Calamani scored the fifth. But this game against La Havre, it was kind of classic PSG performance, as in they were completely dominated by a team that was in the second division last year. And it didn't help that John Luigi Donnarumma channeled his inner Nigel de Jong and got himself sent off in the 10th minute. So obviously PSG sub on their backup goalie um, and then they finally take the lead. Um, but they get completely dominated by Le Havre. Um, they do remain top, as I said. They are currently four points clear of Nice, who are sitting second. Um, nice did lose at the weekend against Nantes. Um, Lons beat Lyon 3-2. Um, Obviously, things continue to be get bad for worse from Leon. They're currently six points from safety. They're five points from the relegation playoff. But obviously, what's interesting is the relegation playoff in France is held at the same time in the Leon Stadium as a Taylor Swift concert. Um, it's also important was the fact there was five red cards this match day in Liga, living up to the idea that it's rather physical. The red cards happened in. Le Havre versus PSG with Donnarumma, Lons versus Lyon, Montpellier versus Monaco, where Montpellier had one of their players sent off um, as Monaco won the game. And and the biggest one is Marseille versus Rennes, where both Marseille and Rennes had a player sent off within 10 minutes of one another. Now, um, I'll briefly give a synopsis of the Euro 2024 groups because the draw happened on Saturday obviously when the draw when we're so much closer to the Euros get a better idea of the squads and how these teams are going to play out group A which is obviously Germany's group they open the game or they open the tournament against Scotland in Munich but this is a very difficult group especially for the state that Germany currently find themselves in as Scotland beat Spain in qualifying so they can clearly go toe-to-toe if necessary with the bigger nations obviously Hungary are a lot more improved and it's obviously worth noting in the previous edition of the Euros Germany nearly got knocked out by Hungary if it wasn't for Leon Goretzka um, so they definitely Hungary definitely want their revenge and then they also play Switzerland who Switzerland have not been at the best recently, but obviously on their day, Switzerland are a very good team, as obviously they beat France as well. Group B is arguably the group of death. Uh, you do get a bit of a rerun here of the Nations League with with the Nations League final, as Italy and Spain and Croatia are all in the same group. And this group rounded off with Albania. So obviously Italy have proven to be not the strongest of team. And they're going to face a very difficult challenge in trying to defend 
their title in the summer. Uh, group C is England's group. This is quite a average group. We have Denmark, Serbia and Slovenia. Group D is also quite a difficult group. Um, we have Austria, France, Netherlands and the winner of playoff A. It's obviously unknown who will be this winner at the moment. But obviously Austria have improved considerably under Ralph Ranić, whereas France are obviously probably the best team in the world and the Netherlands have really struggled as of late as well. So the Netherlands will face a tough competition in this group. Group E is Belgium. They play Romania, Slovakia and winner of playoff B. And then finally, we have group F, which is not the easiest group either as we have um, the Czech Republic, Portugal, Turkey and the winner of playoff C. Obviously, Turkey have improved considerably considering their last Euros whether or not people will say they're dark horses again and get egg on their face is obviously a completely different situation. But obviously, as I said, closer to the game and closer to the date, we shall look more at the group and or look more at the groups and give a better synopsis of what's going on closer to the Euros. Um, so that is it for today. Thank you for listening. Please like us, follow us, subscribe and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.